Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat, and we actually have a signing to talk about, Horwat, something I didn't expect to have at this point of the offseason. I know you probably didn't expect to see somebody re-sign when there's no actual sitting general manager. So we'll talk about which player who most of you are tuning in know exactly which player we're about to talk about. We'll talk about that player that is under a new contract for next season. We're also going to talk a little bit about Mike Sullivan and where his job security status is heading into the 2023-24 season, a conversation that I expect we will have multiple times over in the next 365 days. And then we're finishing it off with a story that kind of took Twitter by storm last night during the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll talk a little bit about Jacob Truba and his physical nature of play. But let's start with Alex Nylander Horwat. He re-signs a contract Announced Saturday afternoon a one-year deal for $775,000, which is league minimum for next season. And based on cap-friendly, because nobody has came out and said it explicitly, not in stories, not in press releases, but based on what cap-friendly has, it seems to be a one-way deal for Mr. Nylander. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the tweet said one way, so it's... Did it? Okay. Yeah, it's all good to go. It took me a minute to realize it, too, because when you see one year, one way, it all kind of gets jumbled. But yeah, it's a one-way deal. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be in the NHL, but nope. um, it is a one-way deal, so uh, stuff that is a little too hard to understand at 8.40 in the morning um, is being applied to this contract. At it is what it is also. It is exactly what he earned and exactly what he deserved heading into the next season. I don't think there was too much more that um, needed to be read into this. Quite honestly, the most interesting part of the deal is who the hell signed it? <laughs> who the hell signed That's the most interesting part of this contract is, so Mr. Nylander, uh, who, 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 put, who put pen to paper first? Uh, and who were you discussing this with? I mean, it's very possible that like anybody in the front office did this i know a lot of people said sullivan he's not part of that he's he did exit interviews something else and he's not really involved in the signings um kevin ackland may have been involved for all we know anyone from Uh, fsg may have done it like it could be anybody in that front office yeah the funny thing was when it came out i said wait a minute who's who's operating like i i understood that Listen, there's that four-headed monster that they put in place to handle hockey operations, but I thought that was just exit interviews, off-season training program set up, stuff like that. Didn't expect to see a contract signing while there's still no GM. I, I I hope the new GM doesn't come in and it's like, why I didn't want this guy. Like, what are we doing? But I, at the end of the day, first of all, considering the value of the contract and the position of the club, nobody's going to scoff at bringing in a younger talented AHL slash NHL prospect for league minimum. Like nobody's, nobody's going to hate that. But also uh, I then remembered that when the ax was swung on Hextall and company, the penguins did name Alex Shaw, Andy Saucier, Eric Heasley, and Mike Sullivan as the four horsemen that are handling hockey ops 
as of right now. So I would imagine it is some configuration of those four that are sitting in a room and getting some of this easy paperwork done. And and that's what Alex Nylander was because he was a restricted free agent. His qualifying offer was like eight hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So you get him for less than that. But would he've really been awarded the full qualifying offer if you went to arbitration? Probably not, because he only played in nine NHL games in the past two seasons. So it's just a tiny piece of business that is something else to check off the Pittsburgh Penguins' off-season plans. Yeah, and in case anybody was curious, um, the uh, the cap-friendly contract status for Alex Nealer does say it was signed by Ron Hextall, but oh, I really? I just looked at it like a, a little bit ago, and it was just empty. I think you're looking at last year's. No, signed one year, July 2022. I'm looking at last year's. No wonder it says arbitration status. <laughs> that being said, though, still, that needs to be yeah. updated because... Scroll down one. Yeah, that one. Still, yeah. it's like that little... um, That's that little piece there. It's very interesting that it wasn't... Like, the, no name was still attached to it. I think it's okay to say uh, the brain behind it because no one's disagreeing with this. It's not like we're signing a player that... Um, it's not like we're signing Brock McGinn back, you know? It's This is a player that we can all be on board with. There's no bad PR by strapping a, a signing name to this. Yeah, but I think the point is, especially for cap friendly's sake, they just go based off of what the team announces, and the team didn't announce that anyone in particular oh, signed yeah, them. Sure. It was just that the team signed them. So no, yeah. I understand why they're doing it, but it is funny because every other deal that you see, or almost every other deal that you see on cap friendly is, hey, we have the receipts, guys. We know exactly who signed this deal, whether it becomes an albatross of a contract or if, like the Nathan McKinnon deal a couple years ago, you say, wow, how did you sign him to that? You get to go back and say, hey, that's the GM that uh, fleeced Nathan McKinnon back in, what what, what was it, 2016 or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Uh, but no, it, it was funny because that happened, and I looked around and I was like, who's operating this? Like, who who is steering the ship right now? But then, of course, you remember that uh, that quartet of human beings and Alex Shaw, Andy Saucier, Eric Heasley, and Mike Sullivan. Uh, we don't know who had what, but I would imagine one of those four, uh, probably the director of hockey ops, Alex Shaw, had the, the final decision is what I would imagine. Uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The, the Penguins get Alex Nylander back. Uh, that was a question that was answered very quickly this offseason. Yeah, and it was one that was going to be answered very quickly. It's just an easy choice. Like I said, it's it's a signing that no one's going to disagree with or have an issue with or take issue with. This is a simple, um, you know, we're signing a guy we all want back for at least another season to see what he can do. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that I just went back and looked at the, uh, the tweet from the Pittsburgh Penguins. It does say one-way deal, and my brain was just, you know, at that moment I was watching the Pittsburgh Pirates win against the Washington Nationals. That is the best team in the NL Pittsburgh Pirates. And I was just like, oh, they didn't say whether it was one way or two way. That's weird. And of course, you know, stupid me just doesn't read, which is an important part of the job. But regardless, uh, let's talk actually about the player in Alex Nylander that's coming back. His stats from last season at the NHL level, he scored one goal, tallied one assist as well in nine games played. He led the Pittsburgh Penguins in road mileage in the season, driving between Wilkes-Barre and Pittsburgh. And then at the AHL level, when he was down there, 25 goals, 25 assists for 50 points in 55 games. Horwat, when he was at the NHL level, what did Alex Nylander show you in those nine games? Uh, that he was certainly a better option than quite a few players in the bottom six. Because I mean, he played fairly well alongside... Uh, Zucker and Malkin but at the same time I think um, I think we all jumped to conclusions I discussed this before on the podcast let's let's not all get it twisted Alex Nylander's probably going to be a third line player next season too at least that's where he should start uh, and then move up or down from there it's you know is he an NHL player yes is he a top six NHL player we'll have to wait and see truly I don't I just don't want this team to jump to the vast conclusions of sticking him in the top six right away because um, he scored 50 points in the AHL. That's nothing to scoff at, but at the same time, uh, he scored two at the NHL level. And I know it was garbage time of the season, too. I mean, this team couldn't do anything at, toward the end, but um, 
You still need to produce a little bit more than that. And he played nine games, but how many was he healthy scratched for? I forget right now. Uh, probably close to nine. Yeah. So it's part of that is Mike Sullivan's doing, but you know, we can't just immediately say this man's a uh, top six player. Should be playing alongside Malkin or Crosby and then going from there. You have you know, to be realistic with him. That's all I'm hoping for. Yeah, I think most people, when seeing this deal, clearly, obviously, the money tells you the same story. Like, it, it's yeah. not a guy that they're signing saying, hey, he's going to fill the role of Jason Zucker next season because it's not realistic, right? He's he's not that type of player. Now, is he a player that, in a pinch, uh, with injury issues, could potentially go up there? Yes, I, I think he does have the skill to keep up on those lines. Do I think he has the skill to excel on those lines? Probably not like he, he could go up there and he could take the time and he, he could eat up the minutes. He could score goals, but he's he somebody that going into next season, you're penciling in as an option for the top six. No, I don't think anybody actually is, or at least anybody with a brain actually is. And they a lot more along a line with Horwat, what you're saying, which is, mm-hmm. Hey, he's a guy that can go into next season and fight for a third line role to start yeah. the season. Exactly. I think whenever, whenever he got called up initially, it was, we didn't know what to do with him, and then he's got an assist, secondary assist, right? Yes. In the got first a game. secondary assist uh, with Zucker and Malkin, and everyone decided to freak out and say he should be playing there regularly. I mean, sure, Brian Russ didn't have a great season, but, I mean, come on, let's be realistic here. I, I think the, also the point was, like, it was finally somebody outside of the big six mm-hmm. forwards that actually looked like he belonged in that line. Now, not that he was, hey, this guy's a top six forward, but that, hey, he can play there. Like, he can survive there. He could potentially thrive there. Like, there's potential there, which is something we didn't see from anybody in the bottom six the entire season up to that point. I don't know if it was it, it was the secondary assist that people were like, hey, one game, one point, because if that was the case, I mean, I guess people are, and, and me included, people are saying, hey, you know, Valtteri Pustin is a point-per-game player at the NHL level. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when I look at Alex Nylander, it's a kid who has the legs, has the offensive talent. Can he put it together at the NHL level consistently is the big question, right? He hasn't played much at the NHL level over the past three seasons. We'll see if he's able to, over the summer, improve to the level that gets him to where in training camp he impresses the coaches enough to get a spot on the opening day roster. And we still don't know who he's going to be fighting with because we imagine that there's one, two, maybe three or four bottom six players that have yet to be revealed that will be on the roster heading into next season. Yeah, and I'm really curious to see if any more of these easy paper transactions go through while we're still waiting on a general manager search to occur because you assume Drew O'Connor is going to get a similar deal to that, right? Yeah, I would, I would ass- say Drew O'Connor might get a little bit more like he might be around the $1 million range, but I don't even know. Like, that's the thing. I don't think you're going to see any multi-year contracts. I might be wrong, Okay. but this is a one-year deal. I don't think these four, if they are indeed who are going through and making these signings, these four guys are going to say, hey, we have a new general manager coming in. We're going to lock him into a player for two years because we like him. I I think they're going to be like, hey, this was a piece of business. Take it or leave it. Because if he if the new GM doesn't like Nylander, it's a league minimum deal and it's easily buried in the minor leagues. Yeah, I'm just now realizing too that it is still an RFA deal at the end of it. Hey, still gonna have RFA status. That's another solid uh, solid option there. Tidy piece of business. Maybe it was also like Nylander being like, "I just want to be under contract, guys, so I can enjoy my summer. Like I don't want to have to deal with this." That's fair. That's fair, and it's quite simple. I mean, he's got. That's one thing we need to discuss eventually too. Is that. Uh, He's got World Championship coming up. He's got uh, Team Sweden to play for. He's got his brother to watch in the uh, second round of the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he just wants – he. it's very possible as well that he just wanted to get it done so he can enjoy the beginning of his summer before he's got more hockey to play and watch. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I noticed and that stood out to me in his nine games this season because, listen, was he impressive – more impressive than I think I expected? Was he more impressive than a lot of the guys in the bottom six for the Pittsburgh Penguins this year? (laughs) Yes, he was. Like, at the end of the day, he was. But the one thing that stuck out to me was that he was better defensively than a lot of people said he would be. Like, that was the thing with Alex Nylander. They said, yeah, he has offensive upside, but dude doesn't play defense. And we all know that if if you don't play defense, 
as a forward, Mike Sullivan's not going to like you all that much, right? We all know the the headbutting that him and Danton Heinen have done with the, hey, you're benched for the rest of the game. Hey, you're healthy scratched. Why? Because Danton Heinen sometimes says, I don't feel like playing defense. So with that and seeing Alex Nylander get called up, I was like, okay, here we go. Like, where is this kid at defensively? He was not great. He was not amazing, but he was more serviceable than I expected whenever he got to the NHL level. And that to me is a good sign for Alex Nylander. It's something that on the broadcast every single time he was out there, Bob Airy or Steve Mears, or even when I was listening on the radio and gets off front of the show would say, hey, this is something that he's been working on at the AHL level. And clearly it looks like it's taken to heart and it's shown that in this game that he has taken those strides to get better defensively. Yeah, and why do you think Jonathan Gruden was called up earlier in the year? His defensive yeah. play, not so much his offense. Is, still one of, is Gruden still one of the top prospects in the system? Probably, because our system is shallow. Um, but he was called up specifically because he's got defensive mindset. Now he ended up only playing like five minutes a game, but story for another day, that's all. But yeah. for Nylander, yeah, the fact that he's been working on it goes to... that pushes you a long way in the Mike Sullivan system. And also, uh, one of the big things they had Sam Poulin try and work on his entire tenure since joining the organization was, hey, Mm -hmm. you're going to be a great player. Now it is time to also focus on some defense. You know, play the defensive side of the puck. Play in your zone. You're great at offense. We don't need to improve too much there. That'll just kind of progress as you do. Focus on a little bit of defense now. And... When it comes to the Penguins moving forward this offseason, they're going to need players like this to rebuild their bottom six because their bottom six, you know, we talk about the goaltending, that is clearly the number one priority, but the bottom six needs changes. Yeah. And part of it is you need players and contracts, more importantly, like this. Cheap, flexible, and young. You need Mm -hmm. options like that going forward if you're going to rebuild this bottom six because they're going to be some expensive signings. There's already one expensive player that is on the bottom six. There's already two expensive players that are on the bottom six and Jeff Carter and Mikhail Granlin. So you're going to need cheap options and you know, they're going to try to sign a two to $3 million player to come in and jumpstart the bottom six as well. Unless any of those rentals that went to Boston or New York decide, you know, you know what? (laughs) And then we can have that discussion later. Cause I, I'm hoping for doomsday this summer for a lot of teams. I don't know why. You want to see chaos, which is oh, what yeah. a lot of people like to see in the offseason. Chaos is fun. Chaos is what gets headlines. And chaos is stuff that we like to talk about here on the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. But with that, let's talk about another chaotic situation. How long is Mike Sullivan's leash heading into the 2023-24 season? We'll discuss that after the break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Horwat, everybody loves Mike Sullivan, right? Damn, let me let me hit my button. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, not everyone does. No, I think, no, not um, everyone does. It's almost like the, an everybody hates or everybody hates Chris kind of thing. The proper people do, though, and that's the thing. For Mike Sullivan, the proper people love Mike Sullivan. Yeah, and that is the uh, John Henry and Fenway Sports Group love Mike yep. Sullivan. Yes, they do, and. He's definitely making it into this uh, upcoming season. There's no doubt about oh, yeah. that. Um, the rest of the crew around him is still to be determined, I think. But, you know, 
Mike Sullivan's job is pretty secure heading into this upcoming season. Probably moving forward because Fenway, in the midst of looking for a new GM, is not going to hire someone who's going to say Mike Sullivan's on a short leash. So, I mean, things can move quickly. Obviously, a lot can happen in a season. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, a new GM's going to say it's going to be at least kind of on the same page as Fenway when it comes to Mike Sullivan's one of the best coaches in the league in their eyes and is deserving of the job here in Pittsburgh and can be the man that builds them back. Well, I do agree that he is one of the best head coaches in the National Hockey League. I I do. And honestly, the big question is, if you get rid of Mike Sullivan, who are you replacing him with? And is that person going to be better than Mike Sullivan? The answer is likely no, right? Mike Sullivan has earned the right to be called one of, if not the greatest coaches in the history of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's the winningest coach in both the regular season and the postseason in Pittsburgh Penguins history. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion as a head coach, and he started his career with nine straight playoff series wins. The problem is he hasn't won one since then, right? His last playoff series win, the last one for the Pittsburgh Penguins, was 2018, a four or a six-game series victory over the Philadelphia Flyers right before, of course, they lost in six to the Washington Capitals. So since that win over the Flyers, the Penguins are 0-5 in playoff series with <laughs> some pr- some pretty bad losses to boot, right? 3-1 to series lead over the New York Rangers last year. They lose it in seven. You can say what you want about the team. You had a 3-1 series lead and you lost it. A loss to the New York Islanders that you had some of the worst goaltending in the world. Is that Mike Sullivan's fault? Not necessarily, but you still lost the series. A loss against, in the bubble, the Montreal Canadiens, that is entirely inexcusable, right? That was probably the worst of the bunch. So Could have been up there, yeah. That is the worst of the bunch to me. You lost to the 24th ranked team in the National Hockey League. I get it was Carey Price. I get it was the bubble. It was weird. You should have beaten that team. No, absolutely you should have. I think that one's definitely up there. I think that Rangers one does get remembered just because they had the series, you know, ready to go, but extenuating circumstances with uh, Crosby and, oh, yeah, a third-string goalie. What can Sullivan do about it? You're right. I think um, at least he's – the thing is in a lot of them, like how, how often does he get outcoached? I think you saw it more this season than you've ever seen it before. Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, yeah, you did. You you saw it a lot this season where Mike Sullivan made some questionable decisions, and I get it. Part of that is him coaching from a corner because his, his roster was not great. But let's also not forget that there were some decisions that were made that were all Mike Sullivan, right? He's not exempt from blame from the product we saw on the ice. There's no way he can be. He's the head coach of the hockey team, and while, yes, it does seem like there might have been a disconnect between him and Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. He still had a hand in who's coming up, who's going down. If you think that Ron Hextall, the general manager of the team, didn't consult with the head coach and some of his roster decisions, you're just wrong. Like There has to be some connection there. Otherwise, this would have been in light a lot sooner. So is he exempt from the roster decisions? Not entirely. So when I look at Mike Sullivan and I try to figure out what his job security is, because let's also not forget he has four years remaining on his contract, one year left on his current deal, and then three years of an extension that he signed last offseason. Fenway Sports Group loves him. From everything we've heard, Fenway Sports Group is enamored with Mike Sullivan as head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins. They think he's the guy. The team has bought into him, maybe less so now than when he originally took over, but I think part of that is they need to clean some of the house on the ice. Uh, but still, the people that matter have bought into Mike Sullivan. Danny Malkin, Sidney Crosby, Chris Tang, they're all behind their head coach. The question I have is, at what point, even though he is a great coach, does he lose the feeling of being the right coach? Because just because you're a great coach doesn't mean you're the right coach for a situation. We've seen it across the league. Good coaches are losing jobs. 
faster than ever now. Bruce Cassidy let go by the Bruins last year. He didn't miss the playoffs, right? The team was pretty good, right? And they say, you know what? No, Bruce Cassidy, we just need a different voice. Bruce Cassidy's a great coach. He's about to coach in the second round of the playoffs with the Vegas Golden Knights. But Boston said, we need more. They fire him, get Jim Montgomery, and they break the regular season record for wins. Now, what happened in the playoffs is a different story. Same thing. Paul Maurice, one of the best head coaches in the league, says, I'm leaving the Winnipeg Jets because they need a new voice. Not because Paul Maurice was going to get fired, but because the Winnipeg Jets need a new voice. Now, do the Pittsburgh Penguins need a new voice? I don't know. But at some point, just because you're the good coach and you're a great coach doesn't mean you're the right coach for the certain situation. No, you're right, and I can totally see what you're saying. And also when it comes to the Jets, I mean, they still need a new voice. They need a new everything. Yeah, Rick Bonus throwing the team under the bus right after they got eliminated was something. Yeah, but again, that's a story for another day. Uh, as for if Mike Sullivan is still the right coach, I mean, obviously the, the proper people believe that he is. And that's the only thing that's really going to make the difference here, right? Like, the ownership believes he's still the right guy, and the main core still believe he's the right guy. That's just, there's no other way of putting, there's just no other way of looking at it, I think, right now, because we're not the ones in charge making the decisions. We may want things to change and, you know, be switched to one, switched one way or the other. Um, but, you know, what? it's just, I don't know what it'll take for that to be seen, though. Maybe a genuine downfall behind the bench, but it's, um... It's not going to be visibly seen from ownership and the right people. Maybe a new management group sees it a little faster, you know, but you got to have someone willing to fly in the face of ownership there. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, FSG is a business, right? It's a company. And so too is the NHL. It is a company. It is a business. If the results aren't there, if you like the person, it can only go so far, right? And if the results continue to not be there for Mike Sullivan, let, let's say, worst case scenario, he duplicates what he did this season. That's cause for dismissal in my eyes. Okay. Okay. I mean, you're kind of right about that. It's just a matter of what management believe, thinks of the contract and what they believe he can do. I mean, yeah, uh, coaches lose jobs all the time it's it's the one job in the nhl you get hired to be fired basically yeah. right um i mean yeah this stuff this kind of thing can't continue and i do agree with you when it comes to that by the way i'm not in disagreement with you at all you're right one more season of that and there does need to be a change i do just keep getting caught up on that contract and on the way fsg thinks of them it's just it's the big block in my head about it it's hard for me to come up with these sort of options and these sort of, you know, paths with Sullivan or without Sullivan thanks to a contract extension signed two years in advance that lasts another four and with the things ownership said about him. Whenever that contract was signed, you know, in a normal media release, there's what the the uh, the initial update boom here's what we've done here's a quote from uh somebody usually just like the general manager there was the quote from hextall and then there was quotes from two different members of fsg not one not in normal stuff like that there isn't any right it's just ownership understanding that their team is working a lot of times they won't even you know put in their two cents not just one person, but two people had something to say about Mike Sullivan. Um, and that was more quotes than Hextall had in that release. I, I can remember looking that back up uh, not too long ago. From that day, you could tell FSG uh, really liked their guy. Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly what David Beast, uh, Beaston said in, the, in uh, his presser following Hextall's firing. Um... But he and FSG still seem to be right on board with Sullivan and his uh, and his coaching style. Yeah, to paraphrase what Dave Beeston said, he was basically like, we love Mike Sullivan, we believe he's the, he's the right guy for the job, and we think that he is 
certainly the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins moving forward. Like that's, that's practically what he said. And that is not verbatim. That is paraphrasing what he said in that press conference. But yeah, I get it. FSG likes Mike Sullivan and that relationship. You know what that does? We've seen on multiple occasions in the Sydney Crosby era that a head coach is dismissed midway through the season. That's not going to happen to Mike Sullivan, right? If they get off to a slow start, Mike Sullivan has a little bit more security in that sense. In my eyes, though, looking at this coaching staff, Todd Reardon, Mike Vellucci are entering the final year of their contract. They're on tepid ground right now. So, too, is is Mike Sullivan when he enters the season. I don't think he enters the season with an ironclad belief that his job is 100% secure. Now, here's what I say. I said missing the playoffs and a repeat of this year is cause for dismissal. Regardless of the team in front of him, right? Because that's what a lot of people, including us, have said. Listen, the team in front of him was not great. And I know he has something to do with that. He's not entirely absolved from that. But a lot of that is Ron Hextall, which is why Ron Hextall is out of a job. But regardless of the team in front of him, because it's not going to be worse than this year's. There's no way they could be worse than this year's with somebody else coming in and looking at this team, knowing the issues that they have, and knowing that it wasn't their problems, they're going to be fine just saying, eh, that's, get, get, get that out, get that, that out, toss out that piece, toss out that piece. We're going to try to fix this. The roster is going to be better next season by how much remains to be seen. I would say it's win a series or bust, actually, for Mike Sullivan. Because if FSG is hiring this general manager with the express instructions that, hey, we like this head coach, so you're probably not going to be firing him. That's malpractice. Because you need to, if you're FSG, no matter what feelings you have for Mike Sullivan, hire the guy and say, that's your job. We're the owners. We're the bankroll. You can't do anything without asking us first. But at the same time, if the new general manager says, this team needs a new direction at head coach, for FSG to throw that aside simply because their feelings for the actual guy in that position would be organizational malpractice. And we've seen plenty of that with Ron Hextall, right? It wasn't FSG. It was Ron Hextall that was doing the organizational malpractice. But to me, considering the current climate of coaching in the National Hockey League and considering the track record that Mike Sullivan has over the past six seasons now, it's win a playoff series or bust. And I can, I can understand that one as well. Like, like I said, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm on your side with that because, you know, 82 games is a long time to really see the fruits of your labor get put together, right? That's a long time for you to realize there's something royally wrong with um, with your team and with your coaching staff. And if it is a second straight 82-game set like that, um, you know, then, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. It is just a matter, and you're right, it would be malpractice for Fenway to step in and say you cannot fire the head coach yet. I, Like I said, I just don't know how the contracts work. Don't know if there is a, if there's some sort of way to opt out if you needed to. Nope, you're just paying them. Or if they're just going to pay them. I mean, yep. that's the other part of it because sure... The Penguins aren't a big market, but they do get a fair amount of uh, revenue. I mean, uh, Kevin Ackland did say that the Penguins are as financially strong as ever uh, as part of that little presser as well. But, I mean, how much money are they willing to spend on assets they're not using? That's I, I get that, like, that's a big part of something you don't think of. I mean, whenever a coach gets fired, how many years left on that contract? The team is still paying that coach, um, and it just like that's why a lot of teams don't like firing coaches in quick succession like that because they don't want to be paying for assets they're not using. That's just now it's just getting into business mumbo jumbo that I don't even want to get into. But yeah, if one more season down the drain like that, I'm with you. And at that point too, you have to wonder where because. If that's two straight seasons without the postseason, you do have to wonder where the team is as well. And that, by by the team, I mean the core. What does Sidney Crosby look like? What does Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, how are they playing? Um, are they at the tail end of their careers, like visibly, finally? 
Um, because at that point, Sid would only have one year left on his deal. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He would only have one year left. Malkin would have two left. And at that point, you do genuinely have to go, okay, hold on. Maybe it is time to strip it to the bone. Because, yes, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Tang only want to win. But two straight seasons, you don't know what the team looks like. Because, like I said, 82 games is a long time. To really see what your team looks like. Now I'm doomsdaying this in my head. Yeah. <laughs> second well, straight playoff or second straight miss of the postseason, and you know who knows? Because you don't know. You don't know if it's because Evgeny Malkin saw in a second line role and put up 20 points. You don't know if it's because Crystal Tang fell off a cliff finally. You don't know. You know, no one has the crystal ball here, but you don't know what the team looks like. Is that the point where? Strip it to the bolts. It's coming yeah. down. Which is why I said regardless of the team in front of them, and that includes those guys, because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, if Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, one of them regress, yep. this team's probably not going anywhere, right? So at the end of the day, even though that might not be Mike Sullivan's fault, if they regress to the point of, hey, they're not going to be the player they were even last season anymore, like that's unlikely to happen, Mike Sullivan's not the guy that I'm rebuilding with as the head coach. Right, because that's going to be an entirely new team. I get at the end of the day, why head coaches don't last in this league. And if you're going through and changing the mindset to, hey, we're going to be a rebuilding team now. We get Crosby wants to win, but you know we'll go either direction here. We get Crosby and Malkin and Latang want to win, but Latang can't do it anymore. We get Crosby, Malkin, and Latang want to win, but Malkin can't do it anymore. Crosby can't do whoever it is. If one of those three can't do it anymore. They're all under contract, right? And you know that Sidney Crosby, the only thing that I know for certain is Sidney Crosby's not going anywhere, ever. Like, FSG says that, that's something that they can say, you know what? And and most general managers are going to be like, okay, I'm not going to try to big time you and say, you know, no, I don't know. Sidney Crosby would, would fetch a lot even in his old, no. Nobody's going to be that stupid, right? Um, So that's the only thing I know and looking at regardless of the team in front of them, whether it's one of those three guys or those three guys perform again and we see what happened this season where everybody else fails, right? And I'm not going to say that they didn't fail. I talked about that yesterday. Uh, There were some failures. But we say it's not because of the big three. I still think that missing the playoffs or even making the playoffs and not winning a round is, hey, it's time to switch some things up. It would be. It's It truly would be. And I mean... (laughs) Like I said, the 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 the, the, dis- the discussion of Crosby on a different team is another one for another day. But yeah, that's, come on, you know he wants to win, and you know it was a great place to win, Colorado. Ignore the fact they just lost to Seattle. But um, yeah, but I don't think winning another Stanley Cup is more important to him than finishing his career in Pittsburgh. Personally, I don't know the guy. Haven't talked to the guy. I feel like from everything I've read or seen him say in public, at least, which could just be his public-facing thoughts and not mm-hmm. his private thoughts. Uh, it feels like finishing his career where it started is something important to him, and it's not like he hasn't won before. He's won three cups. Yeah, it's Fenway said that one of their main goals is to make sure Sidney Crosby never plays in another uniform. Yeah, and you know Crosby has always said kind of the same thing, which is pretty much that's the goal, but that's really it. I think he said that's. I think he said uh, in this most recent one uh, that. That would be ideal or something along those lines. But he's never going to get into too much detail because, you know, even everyone does genuinely know no one is safe on their team. You know, everyone wants to bring up the Wayne Gretzky one. Wayne Gretzky was bought, first of all. (laughs) He wasn't traded. He was purchased. Secondly, um, that's still fair, though. He does, Cindy Crosby does want to follow in the footsteps, footsteps of Lemieux with this organization and starting and ending here. And he wants to do it with his guys. If his guys are gone, though, then what? Because what if his guys are like... What if what if Malkin... I mean, yeah, they've all won two. They've all won three times as well. But truly, Latang, he's got how many years left on his contract? He's not a six-year deal. Maybe he wants to spend the last four of it on a dog water team. I'm sure even he... If, especially... Let's say if Malkin and Crosby are the ones that fall down. And Latang's still busting it. Because, you know, he just might. (laughs) 
He, he's not going to want to spend four years on a dog water team. He'll go somewhere else and win. He'll go to Montreal and maybe win. Of the three of them, that's the most realistic in my eyes. True. But at the same is. time, as of right now, it's not a conversation that any of them are even close to having because the Penguins were one point away from being a playoff team. They were failed by their general manager, <laughs> and I'm sure they're going to be likely. I mean, the, all signs point to those three being just as good next year as they were this year. And same goes for Jake Gensel. Same goes for Ricard Raquel. Same goes for Brian Rust. Probably going to e even be better next year, right? So there's signs that point to this team being better next year than they were this year. Uh, whether or not that's the case, again, remains to be seen. We got to see what every, you know, how the offseason shakes out. But I think the thought of the big three leaving is like that, that conversation is not one that's going to need to be had this summer. Um, yeah. What the a thought weird of Mike Sullivan, though. Yeah. Well, the, I, I was like, I, okay. Uh, but no, uh, Mike Sullivan, though, like that's the thing. Just because of his position, it garners that conversation because head coaches are hired, like you said, to get fired. Mm -hmm. So when he hasn't found success since 2018, that's going to become a conversation. Now, is he going to get fired this offseason? No. Is he going to get fired during the season next year? Unlikely. Probably not. Will he get fired at the end of next season? I say right now it, it's all up to next year if he makes the playoffs and wins a series. That might be a bit much. Maybe that's a little bit too much for uh, for what is actually going to take place, which is, hey, miss the playoffs, you're out. Make the playoffs, you're probably going to get another shot. I don't know. Because at the end of the day, none of us will really know that until the day that it happens and we see it in a press release. With three quotes from exactly. Fenway Sports Group representatives. Also, if you want to doomsday this a little bit longer, the last two years of Latang's deal are modified, no trades, not full. So have fun, everybody. I'm not worried about 2028 or whatever <laughs> year that's going to be. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, Horwat, I'm going to ask you a very important question. What is an illegal check to the head? Because it seems like nobody actually knows. We'll discuss that after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. And Horwat, it happened once again. It is that time of the year. Jacob Truba makes a questionable hit in the playoffs, and we all have to pull out our rule books and say, what is the rule again for illegal checks to the head? This time it was in Game 7 against Timo Meyer of the New Jersey Devils. The Devils were up 2 to nothing in the third period. Jacob Truba tries to bring his team back into the game, sparks something in his team, lays out Timo Meyer in what was a vicious hit. Meyer's head snaps back, hits the ice. I don't believe he played in the rest of the game, to be completely honest. I can't remember. I don't know um, if he played. I know he came to the bench. Yeah, I don't quite remember that, but he certainly was down on the ice and you know, who would blame him? You look at the replay and he gets hit right square, initial contact, middle of the face, like bridge of the nose, middle of the face, probably felt like he was in a boxing match. And then the questions, of course, are why was there no penalty? Wasn't even a two minute penalty given, wasn't even a flinch of an arm from any of the referees, Wes McCauley or the rest of them all just kept their arms down, said, keep on playing kids and no penalties out of that. So Horwat. Before we get into anything, and whether or not it should be, do you think that hit was clean or dirty? Dirty. And, I, and, and I'm not even going to bring the rule book into my argument. I texted it to you. He, he was coming onto the ice. He was getting off of the bench for a shift. He was just starting his shift and had no plans of playing actual hockey in that shift. 
What does he immediately do? The the door's not even closed on the bench yet. Whenever he whenever uh, Timo Meyer's laying on the ice, he that was his first thing he did on during that shift was Chiruba immediately gets on, drills Meyer was was it clean or dirty? It was probably clean. Who cares? Because you have to look. Because here's the thing, the NHL doesn't care. The NHL player safety proves it all the time. Every time they put out a video and they say, this man has history. This man does not have history. Okay. Guess what? This man technically, in a way, has a little history to hits to the head. Immediately, that should just be a red flag. The NHL officiating has been horrendous this postseason, too. Awful. In every game, in every series, no one is safe. Um, and this was another example of just how bad it was because NHL officials do try their hardest. They try their hardest to make sure certain guys are getting penalized more than others. Michael Bunting comes to mind right away. At least that's what happened all season. What did, is what Michael Bunting did uh, uh, suspendable in what game one? Yes. It was game one, in, yeah. In game one? Yes. Okay, he got three games. Kale McCarr got one game. Because he's Kale McCarr, and that's a moneymaker. You can't leave him off the ice. I don't know how much of a moneymaker Jacob Truba is, but he's got this history. They don't care for the rule book when it comes to this kind of thing. If you're going to bring in the cash, cash, money, money, you're staying in the game. You're missing one game. You're going to come back for an elimination game because you're important to your team. If you're Michael Bunting, you're going to miss three because, I mean, you're Michael Bunting. The rest have been watching for you all season. And you do something like that. Now, I and also, just I just really appreciate that last season, Jacob Truba went after the clear-cut leader of the Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby. This season, he went after a guy who, Timo Meyer, don't get me wrong, great player, zero points. If you're going to run someone, run someone who's scoring on you. <laughs> like, if you're going to do it, do it. And That's just me, though. Yeah. A couple things. One, to respond to your last point there, I don't think Jacob Truba really gives a crap who no. he's hitting because that's the type of player he is he's going to make the hit. Why did he make the hit? Because his team was down two to nothing in this game seven. Their season is on the line. They need a spark because they were they were I mean they weren't awful, but they weren't good last night. They were just kind of sleepwalking around the ice a little bit. They needed something to spark them late in that game, and he's not going to spark them by scoring a goal. He's not going to spark that team by making a beautiful outlet pass. That's Adam Fox. That's his job. Jacob Truba's job is to defend the net, but that's not going to spark anybody, and make big hits, right? And what did he do? He made a big hit. Now, the Rangers in kind didn't kind of respond this time. Maybe it was too little too late. Uh, because it was midway through the third period of a game where you were down two to nothing and New Jersey had all the momentum in the world. But I don't think he cares if it was Timo Meyer, Jack Hughes, John Marino. Whoever has the puck, and like you said, it was right at the beginning of his shift, whoever has the puck is getting hit. And it just so happened that Timo Meyer, who was the or one of the biggest trade deadline acquisitions of the year, was carrying the puck across the middle of the ice with his head down. It's a recipe for a disaster. Truba looking to change the pace of the game. Meyer entering the zone with his head down. That's that's not a good recipe for Timo Meyer. Now, as far as whether or not the hit was clean, like you mentioned, according to the NHL rules, it was clean. Let me pull up the rule book here for anybody watching on YouTube at Inside the Penguins. What it basically says for Rule 48.1, a legal check to the head. A hit resulting in contact with the opponent's head where the head was the main point of contact and such contact to the head was avoidable is not permitted. If that was the end of the rule, that's a dirty hit. But the problem was, if you're watching on YouTube, you see this. There are other things that go beneath it. And most importantly, number two. Right? Second decimal, 4.1 Article 2 of that rule is whether the opponent put himself in a vulnerable position by assuming a posture that made head contact 
on an otherwise full body check, unavoidable. Timo Meyer lost possession of the puck, bent over to try to poke it, and his face was right next to where Jacob Truber's line of hitting was. So that at that point isn't on Jacob Truba. According to the rules, it's on Timo Meyer. Is that right? In my opinion, no. The rule should end with what I stated at first, right? Mm-hmm. If you hit him in the head, and that is the primary point of contact, and it could have been avoided, it's a headshot. But in the rule book, it says, oh, if that other opponent puts himself in a bad position, which otherwise would have been a normal hit, that's on that's on the guy who got hit, which is basically like blaming the victim, which, again, is why you said the NHL doesn't care. The NHL doesn't care. So... Looking at the rules, yes, it was a clean hit. Because I do think, looking back at it, if Timo Meyer would have been skating at his normal posture, it probably would have been chest, maybe shoulder, as the primary point of contact and not the bridge of his nose. But to me, it's immaterial. The rule should say that as long as you make primary contact with the head, no matter what the other player is doing, unless it is... Again, it's hard. It's a gray area. You can't cover everything in a rule. But primary contact to the head, if you want those hits out of the out of the league, you have to just end it there. You can't say, well, if the opponent ducks and ends up getting hit in the face because of that, it's the it's the guy that gets hit's fault. If you want him out of the if you want it out of the league, yeah. You just gotta you just gotta end it at that first article. And then be like, if that happens, so bad for you, be better at hitting. Like, right, be better at getting out of the way. That takes the hit out of the game. That takes headshots out of the game. The only problem is, and I know people are going to push back on this, is it probably takes a lot more heavy hits out of the game in general because people don't want to hit people in the head and people don't want the consequences of that because even if it's not their fault that they made head contact, they made head contact, and they're the ones that are getting penalized for it. Then, you know, here's the other thing, too. There's a lot of stuff that goes into this that I, like I said, I'm not taking the rule book into this equation pretty much at all. Um, you're take he's taking himself very far out of position to make this hit as well, Jacob Drew. But if he misses the hit, let's say Meyer sees it and somehow makes a move, well, now you just look like you screwed your team a little bit. You're so far out of position, and not only that, but if let's say you hit someone in the head, here's one thing that we hear so little about: Do these guys feel remorse for each other? How often has Tom Wilson come out and said, I feel extremely bad that I just concussed someone? Concussions are nothing to F around with here. I'm not saying Timo Meyer got a concussion here. But we've seen concussions end careers before in multiple sports. Like, what does it have to take for a guy like Jacob Truba to say, I was trying to get my team going. Did I do it the proper way? I thought I was in the moment. And now, let's say Meyer didn't return. And now this guy's going to miss the rest of the playoffs. My team lost in the in, in hindsight as well. How bad does he feel? Does he not care? Do these guys not care? Because that's the other part of it. Like, yes, it was accidental head contact. Like, at what point do you have to also think to yourself as a human being, damn, what did I just do to this man? I don't know. Now I'm just getting off of it because, let's be real, we don't like the player. If he wanted to do something to help his team, maybe he should have scored more than zero points in seven games. He was a minus two. If he wanted to do something to help his team, I, I don't know. It's a lot of, I don't know. The Rangers scored 10 goals in the first two games, and he produced zero. I don't, like, the man has the history. I don't, unless someone can show me receipts of remorse from the, any of these guys, then I'll shut up. But, like, at what point as a human being do you go, okay, what the hell am I doing? Not that he's ended a career or anything, but mm-hmm. I don't know. See, to me, that's the part of the argument that you actually lose me. Like, I, I think that these guys do feel remorse. I, I think it's silly to believe that these guys go out there and like, yeah, did you see what I did last night? I know we lost, but you see what I did? I don't think these guys are like that. I think that that's a dangerous... I don't dangerous, think that either, but we don't hear it. We don't hear it, but he doesn't owe it to us to say it. Might He might text Timo Meyer and be like, hey, man, like, I hope you're feeling all right. But at the same time, that's in the rule book. That's what he has at his disposal to help his team. And you mentioned he should have scored more points. He can't. He can't score more points. He is not a point scorer. What can he do? What does he have in his realm of control? I can lay a body check that sends a signal to my team that, hey, let's wake up. 
hey, let's energize a little bit here. That's what he can do. So while everybody is villainizing Jacob Truba, and rightfully so for the most extent, because he has that history, same thing that happened to Tom Wilson, same thing that you see with Brad Marchand, same thing that you saw for so many years with Nazem Kadri and the Toronto Maple Leafs. He is villainized because he does this. The problem is people shouldn't be as mad at them as they are at the league because the league allows it by not correctly writing their rule book. That's the point that I'm making. Yes, Jacob Truba has a tendency to hit people and it usually ends up being high. Is that something that he does on his own volition? Yes. Is that something that's allowed by the league? Yes. So if it's at his disposal, these guys at the end of the day are nothing if not the ultimate competitors. What can I do to help my team win? For him, it's lay a big hit. So do am I going to villainize the guy for laying a big hit? No, I'm going to villainize not even the referees because they're calling the game correctly. They didn't miss a call. That was the correct call. I'm villainizing the league for not caring enough about their players to correctly write the rules in a way that's going to keep the team and the players safe. Because if it's legal, do anything you can to win, especially in a game seven. If I'm in that position, I am much less of a competitor and much less talented than anybody that was on that ice in Newark last night. I'm doing whatever I can. And if I can't score goals, which I couldn't, I was not really great at scoring goals. I was better at hitting. I was a third line player. What am I going to do? I'm going to lay a body check. Am I going to headhunt anybody? No. But if you have the puck, you're skating through the middle of the ice. My team needs a spark and your head is down. You're going to end up on the ice. Like that's the way I learned hockey. That's the way I was taught hockey. That's the way I played hockey when I did. I don't do it now because you can't hit an adult league, which is unfortunate because that was the best part of my game. But I blame the league more than I blame Jacob Truba because at the end of the day, while yes, he might not come out and have a news conference that says, I feel remorse. He might not go on Twitter and, and have the PR director of the New York Rangers say, hey, can you type me up something that makes me look like a human on Twitter? Like, can you do that? Uh, just because he didn't do that. I'm not against him. And the other thing that you mentioned that I, I wanted to respond to at the beginning of the shift, he came out there not to play hockey. He came out there to hit. Hits part of hockey. It's in the rule book. So I think that I, I don't take that against him. I know that you do, and that's perfectly fine. Out of but, the out of position part of it is not part of his game. That's and that's all. on him. Exactly. If you're, if you're out of position, it's on you. But it's still part of the game. It's still part of the sport. He's just out of position. He made the hit. He separated body from puck. That was part of the sport. That's part of the game. He came out there trying to play the game in a way that shouldn't be allowed to be played. You shouldn't be able to hit somebody in the head. If that happens, it should be immediate match penalty. Because what is that going to do? It's going to deter people from going in on these guys with their head down in the middle of the ice. And yes, 10 years ago, if your head was down going across the middle of the ice, most of the league is going to say, and what were you thinking? You got to have your head up there because if not, I mean, maybe more than 15 years ago, Darian Hatzer is going to just dislocate your, your head from your sternum. That's what the league was. It has moved and taken strides further towards being safer for the team and safer for the players, which is a good thing. We know more about concussions. We know more about the danger of concussions. But I'm not going to sit here and say what he did wasn't part of the game. What he did wasn't a hockey play. Because as of now, according to the rule book, according to everything involved, that's a hockey play. Is it a violent hockey play? Yes. Is it a disturbing hockey play? Yes. The dude got hit in the face like he was a boxer. Is it part of the game as of now? It is. And at the end of the day, I can't sit here and say Jacob Trouba wasn't playing hockey on that play because it's exactly what he was doing. Just what he was doing should be something that strides should be taken to take that out of hockey more. Yeah. No, I think we can all agree with that part as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, we can all agree with that part as well. Yeah. So the answer, what is an illegal check? I mean, it's written in the rules. What should be an illegal check is is the question that we should be asking. Because that should be an illegal check, what we saw last night from Jacob Trubo and Timo Meyer. But it's not. And that's the unfortunate part. Because Timo Meyer, if he doesn't have a concussion, I'm surprised. Like, his brain, rock solid, man. Because he got rocked last night. He came back. He did not play, though. He just sat on the bench. Which, I mean, up two to nothing. Smart decision. Good job, Lindy Ruff. Like, good decision in that aspect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But...
Well, that's our yearly conversation on Jacob Truba. Glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> but that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. We'll be back next time to talk more Penguins hockey, maybe another signing. Uh, who knows at this point? Uh, I don't know what to expect from the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. We'll discuss that and more the next time we're here. But as of right now, we'll see you guys next time.